Just make Monday a holiday. Yeah. Don't the 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 country should change what they're doing for the Super Bowl, not the Super Bowl for the country. Come on now, people. Come on now. It's football, baby. In Brazil, actually, I was in Brazil for the World Cup. Did you know whenever the Brazilian national soccer team plays, the entire country shuts down? It's a it's a national holiday whenever their soccer team plays. Yeah, it what might are only we be doing in America. Cup, but that's what I'm saying. Just make it a national holiday. What? Make the Super Bowl a national holiday? <laughs> I think the people are losing their mind. Actually, it's part of a worldview. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Paul. Back with another episode of A World of Views, where we talk about that kind of stuff. And the insanity that has really the whole world in its grip. Yes, yesterday was the stupid bowl. Did you watch it? Did you watch all of the stupidness that went along with it? But we want to make it a holiday. Because so many people are so tired and exhausted, they can't go to work the next day. So we want to make it not a Super Bowl holiday on a Sunday when the game is played. We want to make it a holiday on the next day. I, I'm just, my mind is blown. You know, I've. Read different opinions on this and listened to some of the others dealing with this wonderful get together. And they can't seem to agree. Uh, but most would probably be all for it. But my question has been in regard to making the stupid bowl a national holiday is what is holy about it? You may be asking, oh, what do you mean by that? Dr. P, uh, what what do you mean? Uh, uh, why couldn't it be a holiday just like, you know, the 4th of July and Christmas and Thanksgiving and Martin Luther King and on, 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 all of which really are not holy days either. You see, the word holiday comes from the word holy a day. What is holy about the Super Bowl? What god is worshipped other than the god of, of humanity, the the pagan deities, if you will, all of the, all of the stuff that you saw during this the the halftime show, golly, ah, I, I it is so unholy that it just boggles my mind. That anybody want to call it a holy day, a, a, a holiday? Let's make it a holiday. Uh, no, this is part of a worldview. This is part of uh, worshiping humanity, uh, worshiping ourselves as little deities. And, you know, I, I, I remember growing up and watching the Super Bowl. The first Super Bowl I ever saw was Super Bowl number six. 
And we're at what, number 58 now? That's uh, now I haven't watched all of them since. Uh, I, I've got tired of the, all of the shenanigans and all of the, uh, uh, worshiping, you know, all the celebrities and all this crap that comes along with it anymore. And so much of it seems to be scripted. I got tired of it years ago. So I just don't really have anything to do with it. I just, no, it's, it's not for me. Uh, I think it's ridiculous. I think uh, it's demonic in many ways. Uh, so I'm like, uh, no. So this whole idea of it being another holy day that the, the, we can turn around and worship each other, again, it's just disgusting. It just disgusts me. It's ridiculous. It's nonsense. Anyway, uh, all of this kind of you know, ties in with what we're talking about right now in the the, uh, the the book of Romans. You say, well, how do you get from the stupid bowl to the book of Romans? Because this is the Christian worldview. We don't worship human beings when we come to the Christian worldview. We get God's perspective on us whereby we can be in a right relationship with him and we're to the point here in the book of Romans where Paul is talking about how we are to treat one another, the practical aspect of it. Because as I was reading and studying for this, somebody made a good point, and I think it uh, is is quite relevant here. Uh, many Christians, or maybe I should say not many, those who are Christians oftentimes get their doctrine spot on, and yet they're terrible when it comes to practice. Others are just bad all the way around. <laughs> they, they have this thing about uh, being very, very uh, habit-forming, so to speak. You know, they go through the ritual and whatever, and then they have no orthopraxy, the correct or right way to put it to practice. Others, they're spot on with their doctrine, and they're terrible in their practice. They're stone-cold dead, in in fact. Uh, that's where we're at here in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 14, where Paul is talking about how we're treating each other. He, he started out here in Romans chapter 14. Uh, of course, we've talked about this a little bit before, about passing judgment on each other. And what we're eating and we're drinking, we have the legalists, or even some who are strong in the faith, versus those who are weak. And Paul, I think, had many of his own Jewish brethren in mind when he was talking about them. And Paul has continued this conversation. So if you have your handy-dandy Bible there, you might want to drag it out here, blow off some of the dust, and follow along as we read in chapter 14, starting in verse 13, through the rest of the chapter to verse 23. He's going to continue on with this discussion here. Uh, dealing with uh, those who are weak and strong and and how not to be a stumbling block, how not to destroy what God has uh, set up. Because God, in, in each of our lives, if we are indeed blood-bought, born-again Christians, is helping us to grow up. And we don't all grow up in the same way or at the same pace. And that's why Paul has written this 
particular section of Romans because he recognizes that. Now, while you're getting your handy-dandy Bible out and you're, uh, like I said, blowing off the dust and getting ready to follow along here with Paul, uh, I want to welcome a couple of new followers. One's, one is anonymous, and the other one is Dr. Dre. Now, I, I know of a Dr. Dre uh, performer. I don't think this is the same one. He's probably going by his own particular pseudonym here, 1977 AB, whatever that means. Anyway, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I try to recognize... All that are joining, we've got a couple hundred now. We may be several thousand years old before we get up to Taylor Swift followings, but that's okay. Uh, The vast majority of people, uh, according to what Jesus said, are on the way to hell. Those who are following here, I'm assuming you are here because you're wanting to learn from God. You're not thinking, well, that Dr. Paul, he's got a great voice. Sometimes he's funny. And sometimes he's interesting. No, it's not about me. It's about the Lord and him guiding you. And I hope that you take something valuable away from this podcast, uh, whereby your life is better, not only in your worship of God, but in your treatment of others. I still harken back to Jesus's you know, golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I think if we did more of that in the world, I think that probably we'd have less trouble, less problems and less theft and murder and rape and infidelity and whatever. Paul says here in verse 13, we'll read all the way through here and then we'll come back and and work it out here and hopefully we'll say something meaningful. <laughs> in verse In verse 13, Paul, I'm reading from the English Standard Version here, Paul says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. But what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. For whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, 
because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So let's go back here and let's take a look at this a little bit closer. Once again, this, this is a follow-up or a follow-through or a continuation of his argument proceeding uh, or previously when he was talking about those that were supposedly strong in the faith condemning the weak for not eating everything or drinking everything because they were taught uh, what, what Paul had said before. The example we gave was over in Acts chapter uh, ch- chapter 10, verse 14, that what God is called or cleansed is no longer unclean. It's good. It's edible. The, the dietary law that, that many of the Jews, and that's really who Paul has in mind here, they were in the Roman congregation. Um, the, the, they co-mingled with those who were, who were not uh, Jews at the time. They were Gentiles. They were saved by faith the things that Paul had talked about throughout the rest of the book of Romans. The dietary laws had been abrogated, set aside. The things that used to be unclean are no longer unclean. And as I pointed out before, that meant you wanted a a pulled pork sandwich? Okay. God is now caused or called uh, the swine. Now, some people don't want to eat pig, don't want to eat bacon and stuff like that uh, because they think it's unclean. No, not anymore. The dietary law has been abrogated. That doesn't mean all of the laws have have been abrogated. Some people, you know, like to combine, you know, the the dietary laws and the clothing restrictions and the like, all of which were given to the Jews before they were getting ready to enter the promised land. You see this over in the book of Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy. They were given those restrictions because the Gentiles— that they were getting ready to go in and conquer, were abusing many of these types of of foods and or clothing for the, the worship of the pagan deities. And God was intending to set his people apart from that. And so there were those restrictions that had including the eating of certain animals, shellfish, pigs, and the like. That has been set aside with the coming of Jesus Christ. You don't have those restrictions anymore. Now you have Jews and Gentiles that are part of the body of Christ. But that said, some of the legalistic Christians, and yes, there are legalistic Christians. I had pointed out in the previous podcast uh, an, an example, personal example of a young man, yours truly, going off to Bible college. And having his wife single out because she was wearing pants to work, to go work at a nursing facility. And the security reported me. And I was hauled in before the dean and uh, talked to him about it. And when I explained, hey, this is not me. It's not her. This is the, this is the uh, clothing requirements for employees that worked at the facility. I'm sorry they don't wear culottes there. I'm sorry they don't wear dresses down to their ankles there. That's just not how nurses operate. And Paul was absolved of this. He didn't, didn't uh, wasn't restricted, and neither was she thereafter. 
And I think they, in a certain way, they kind of came to the realization, you know what, some of these legalistic things that we slap on our students probably are a little impractical. What was I just talking about here a little bit ago? You know, some Christians can be just straight as an arrow in their doctrine, but when it comes to the practice behind or that it extends from that doctrine, uh, it gets a little on the skewed side. That was a classic example of bad orthopraxy. It was legalistic. It had nothing to do with what God had revealed here in the Bible. Even, say, even though you know some people like to point out, well, she just wasn't being modest. Give me a break. It's a nurse's uniform. This type of thing was going on there in the Roman church, and Paul is calling them out on it. Paul says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. You know, you oftentimes hear people throw around, and I pointed this out as well before in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. And this is people who are pagans who are trying to keep Christians away from pointing out their sin. And they're saying, well, judge not that you be not judged. Well, that's they stop right there and they don't read the rest of the passage. They leave that part out conveniently so they can continue on in their sin, whatever it might be, drinking, smoking, committing adultery, uh, getting into pornography, whatever. Don't judge me. That's, that's God's way. You don't even know what Jesus was saying there. Paul is saying, though, when it comes to this judgment and the trivial things, like I said, the, the abrogated things. You had certain Christians who were looking down their long noses and, and, and judging the weaker in their own personal piety and it had nothing to do with God, what God had revealed. Paul says, let's stop that. It's nonsense. It makes us look bad. In fact, it tears apart what God is building up. And I just said here a second ago, each individual Christian is on a different maturity journey. They grow up differently, just like you see when you were in school or maybe even today. Some people are more mature than others. You've got some people that are young and mature, not old in age and gray hair or falling out hair. Uh they're more mature at 15 or 14 years old than some people are at 45 and 50. God helps people mature because they are his work. And sometimes people come from different backgrounds and different upbringings, and sometimes some sins have to be overcome, and it takes time. Others are a little more quicker than others. But that being the case, we don't need legalistic Christians looking down their pious noses and judging those who may not be quite there yet, especially when it comes to the trivial things of eating and drinking. Because Paul says what we need to decide upon is to never put that kind of a stumbling block or hindrance, literally the word is scandal, in the way of a brother, somebody who is 
of the like faith as us. They just may not be that far along. And what we end up doing in our legalism sometimes is we put a stumbling block out there and say, I'm eating this pork sandwich or whatever it is, and you're not eating it. Shame on you. And what happens in return is the immature or uh, less grown-up Christian, the brother, looks and they go, that is disgusting. That's forbidden in the law. And my uh, response to that would simply be, that person hasn't read something like Acts chapter 10. They haven't read about you know, the, the, the apostle Peter's, you know, uh, exchange with God and, and God slapping him around said, don't ever call unclean what God has called clean. They may not have gotten there yet. And that being the case, the more mature, and I'm not saying the more legalistic, because just because you're more mature doesn't mean you should be more legalistic because then you're adding things to what God hasn't put in place we see this in the cults all the time, by the way. The cults like to add all kinds of legalistic strictures that have nothing to do with the Bible to keep their people under control. The only person that should be controlling the Christian is God via his spirit as revealed in his word. That's our standard. It's not some cult leader setting up whatever strictures he's got in mind to keep the keep the uh, sycophant or the, the, the dupe or the proselyte in place. But we've got that type of thing that happens in the Christian church all the time. We can't be saying, uh, don't do this and don't do that, otherwise you're not a Christian. Paul's going to point that out here, you know, shortly because we just got in reading it. Paul says here in verse 14, I know, not that I guess, but I would speculate, uh, I kind of maybe dreamed about this. No, he says, I know, and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus. Once again, there's your standard. You know, uh, those that are in Christ are brothers and sisters. Paul talked about this earlier in the book of Romans. It's not that they're working to get in because they're not eating and drinking or wearing certain things. It's that they're in. Paul knows being persuaded that those that are in Jesus, that nothing, not one thing, not one menu, not one bottle of wine, not one certain set of clothing, not one day that we worship on, nothing is unclean in itself. Why? God created it. That's why. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. You know, some people probably say, well, Paul here has contradicted himself. He's all over the board. He's a relativist. No, he's not. I mean, if you go back and read what Paul has been saying all along, even starting in this chapter here, there are going to be those once again, that are going to be mature and those are going to be immature. There's going to be strong and there's going to be the weak. That is not the mark of relativity. The relevance says there is no such thing. But Paul says there are. There are those that are strong in the faith. There are those that are weak in the faith. There are those going to be mature and immature. But there's going to be certain ones that are going to say, well, uh, that's unclean. And he says, okay, fine. 
be that way. It's trivia. It's trivial. You'll grow up maybe someday. In the meantime, once again, if you don't decide to eat, you're doing this. Why? Because you're doing it in honor of the Lord. And it's the same thing for the mature Christian. You're saying, I could eat the ham sandwich because I do it in thanksgiving to the Lord. I'm doing it in honor of the Lord. Why? Because you said it's no longer common. It's no longer unclean. You gave the order, take up and eat, Peter. And you did. You did it in honor of the Lord. You did it in obedience to the Lord. It takes time. Before one, logically, that's what the word is being used here for those who think it's unclean. They've logically thought this through and said, well, um, no, Lord, uh, I think I read somewhere where, you know, eating pigs is unclean. Well, that's fine. You did. That's in the Old Testament. But you have not come to the conclusion yet because you haven't grown up enough in Christ to understand that that law has been abrogated because Christ went to the cross for you. You'll eventually get it. If you keep on reading, you keep on learning from those who are mature, not legalistic, but they are mature, you'll eventually get it, and then you'll come to the conclusion, you know what? A St. Louis pork, pork, pulled pork sandwich is pretty good after all. I ate it, and it was yummy, and uh, I honored God doing it. You'll get there. The the Paul, or the Apostle Paul, he goes out, he says in verse 15, for if your brother is grieved, literally is uh, in pain psychologically over what you're doing. He's going, oh, no, you, you're doing this because it's, it's dishonoring to God. He said it's unclean. That makes you unclean. That means you're separated from God. If your brother is grieved by what you eat because you're arrogantly out there doing it, flaunting it in front of his face, uh, look, you're no longer walking in love. And what did what I say before, what love is supposed to be about? You know, it's not this erotic and, you know, sensuous type of thing where you get the touchy feelies and, you know, you're feeling, you know, amorous towards, you know, the opposite sex or, 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 or things. It's really, that's not what love, that's part of the activity, but that's not really what love is about. It's wanting something that is of the best possible outcome for somebody else, even if it means sacrificing yourself for them. I love my wife, and I would do anything that's not immoral illegal to make sure that her life is better in the best possible way that I possibly can. That's what love is. And I had pointed out uh, what Paul had to say over in in First uh, Corinthians chapter uh, thirteen. Uh, often, <laughs> I remember seeing this. I would, my wife and I were walking around the mall one day, and we saw a, a, a girl wearing only a portion of what First Corinthians chapter uh, chapter thirteen had to say. Love never fails. <laughs> he didn't even forget the rest of it. He had it on her T shirt, and I'm going, "What about the rest of it?" Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. 
It lo- it lo- lo- bears all things, it believes all things, hopes all things, endures endures all things. And once again, this is what was on the T-shirt: "Love never ends; it never fails." And then it goes on and contrasts other gifts that are part of the Christian faith. In fact, he talks about you know their prophecies and and they're like, "That's fall fine and dandy." You know, all of that is trumped by love, and that's what Paul is saying here. If you're out there grieving your weaker brother because of your behavior, whether it's eating or drinking or whatever, you're causing them to stumble, causing them great conflict and pain mentally, morally, uh, uh, psychologically. You're not walking the love. You're not concerned about them. You want what you want. You're not sacrificing in their behalf whereby they're going to be encouraged or built up in the faith. No, you're you're looking at it from only your perspective. Well, I'm sorry, that's not what love is about. Paul says, by what you eat, don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. And he's not saying, you know what, you're going to cause that person over there to lose his salvation. That's what, not what he's saying at all. He said, you're going you're to cause that person ruin. They're going to be doubtful. And you know what? The devil loves that kind of stuff. He loves this doubting Christian mindset. And then he looks over and goes, well, maybe Jesus wasn't everything that it was, you know, he claimed to be. Maybe Christianity's not either. What did I get myself in here? And they become confused. They become doubtful. Or maybe they traipse off into their own thing that is immoral or is illegal. Or maybe they revert back to an old lifestyle because he is talking about walking in love. You know, you're not doing that prior to becoming a Christian. You're walking in your own narcissism. And the person who is weak in the faith, those are the ones that are going to be the most vulnerable to demonic attack, to the doubts, to the hesitations, to the do I really want to do this anymore? I had so much more fun when I was not a Christian. And then pretty soon they have, you know, backtracked and and backslid, and they're into all kinds of different things. And they're pretty soon they're saying stupid things like, I'm no longer a Christian. I'm a deconvert. Uh, no, you're just weak in, 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 a, in a backslidden state. And if you're not careful... God will chastise you then. That's what Paul's talking about here. Don't walk as a mature Christian in a way whereby you cause that person to stumble. Care for them. Love them. Be concerned about them. Change your way so that they will be encouraged, whereby they will mature and grow up. Paul says, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Yes, eat that pork sandwich is probably a good thing, depending on who the cook is. <laughs> no, the point is here, you know, you, you have obeyed God to the degree where the diet has changed. You're no longer restricting it. You're doing it in honoring thanksgiving to God, 
But if you're flaunting it in front of a fellow believer in a way where they're discouraged or destroyed by it, doubtful about it, that's not good. They start speaking evil about it. They start doubting you, like, you hypocrite. How dare you? I mean, uh, I know what the what the Bible has to say about, you know, eating certain things and drinking certain things and wearing certain things. I know what the Bible says here. And what you're doing, you're flaunting it in an arrogant, you know, uh, uh, prideful way. Well, that's just downright evil. No, it's not. The, the, the pride and the arrogance, sure, that is. The, the actual uh, meal that you're eating or the, the thing that you're drinking or the thing that you're doing in honor of God, like I said, if it's not illegal or immoral, I, that ends up became, becoming a, a discussion about evil, moral, or morally evil uh, behavior, and that person's not going to be encouraged by that. They're not going to be built up in it. He says, don't let what you regard to be... Uh, to be good, be spoken of as evil. Because, <laughs> you know, in a way, if you stop and think about it, that person ends up being spoken of that way too. For the kingdom of God, and Paul, you know, Jesus talks about this all the time. When we talked about the kingdom of God being here and being in your midst and the like, and the person who's not born of God can will never even see the kingdom of God. It's not a matter of eating and drinking. That's not what it's about. That becomes the legalism part. If you don't do this and you don't do that, no, it's by grace that you are saved. Anyway, that's the gift. All these other things, yeah, that's, once again, that's trivial. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Then he throws in this strong adversity that I pointed out, but he's contrasting from what some people say uh, on one hand about the kingdom of God is not, it's over here. It's completely the opposite. It's not a matter of eating and drinking or what you wear or who you date. On the day that you worship, it has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul has already talked a lot about righteousness up to this point. Where is the righteousness of God found when, it, when it's in association with the kingdom of God? Where is it found? Paul has talked about this from the beginning. And we go clear back to Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, 16, 17. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous, those who are in a right relationship with God, shall live by faith. And he's going to bring that principle up here one more time here at the tail end. The righteous shall live by faith. This is the theme of the gospel. This is the theme, really, of the whole book of Romans. He says, you know what? The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's about righteousness. That's found in the gospel. And we pointed out before, 
that the righteousness of God is found in the person of Jesus Christ. I said in the previous podcast, we, I mean, you can go off on these little things like the the Romans Christians did about eating and drinking, but that's not the main thing when it comes to the righteousness of God, and it certainly has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. If you want to talk about the main things, go back to what makes the Christian faith, the kingdom of God, the 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 faith that we're supposed to have in Christ. Make those the main things. You know, those types of disputes. When it comes to the Christian faith, and there's going to be that because the devil is constantly attacking the Christian church. He's constantly attacking Christians. And yeah, he'll use these types of little trivial things to try to drive wedges between Christians, and he's successful at it quite often. But the main thing really deals with what makes a person righteous. If, if you really want to discuss something of substance, talk about that. Focus on that. What does it take to have a person become righteous before God? Paul's talked about that through the, through, throughout the book of, of uh, Romans. That's what the kingdom of God is about. And peace. What did Paul say earlier about peace? You know, that those who... Uh, uh, let's go back here. Let's go back here to Romans chapter 8. Class, another classic example of... Uh, something you should remember when it when it comes to the Christian faith. Therefore, there is uh, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He said that in Romans chapter 8, but then in verse 5, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's what the kingdom of God is about, having peace with God. And how is that? How is that? determined? How is that established? By being in Christ. How do you get in Christ? Well, God draws you. The Holy Spirit bears you. Jesus Christ went to the cross to to atone for your sin. That's how you have peace with God. Until then, you're at war with him. The kingdom of God is about having peace with him and joy in the Holy Spirit. In fact, you know, what I've done for some time now, I've told I've told you before my Bible's a mess. <laughs> if you take a look at those lines everywhere and different color coatings and stuff like that, in this particular passage here that we're dealing with today, verses thirteen to uh, twenty-three, I get out my handy dandy pink marker, and uh, I point out where Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are working together. It's my way of indicating the Trinitarian aspect of the Christian faith. And he talks about, you know, the peace of God, you know, the uh, the, the kingdom of God, uh, dealing with, with peace. I've got the Lord Jesus. He says, Paul says that he's persuaded by the Lord Jesus in verse 14. Then he talks about Christ dying uh, for the, the, the brother, the, the, the believer in verse 15. And then he talks about the kingdom of God in verse 17. Then he talks about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 18, whoever uh, thus serves Christ is acceptable to God. We have the Trinity working together here. You may say, well, what's the significance of that? That's part of the kingdom of God. 
It's part of what it means to be a Christian. You, you see all of these things transpiring in a person's life. He says, you know what? If you really want to talk about the kingdom of God and the things that matter, here it is. Jesus, God, and the, and, and the Holy Spirit all working together in terms of what the kingdom of God is about. It's not about eating and drinking. That has nothing to do with anything. And joy from which we get the word grace in the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing thing. Talk about that for a while. I guarantee you, your critical spirit, if you happen to be a legalist, or you happen to be someone who's judgmental on the other end of the scale of those who are into eating and drinking and all that kind of stuff, uh, not, like I said, to be immoral or illegal, uh, all of that will go away. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit will take its place. If you will stop and think about those things that do matter when it comes to the kingdom of God. What we end up doing in too many ways, if we're not legalists, we're extreme libertarians to the point where we use our liberty to be abusive or uh, ruinous in in the opposite direction. Uh, we're not judgmental. We just let everything go. We almost become antinomian, lawless in ourselves. But that's not what the kingdom of God about is about either. That's not the Christian life. There are guidelines. There is liberty. But once again, if you go overboard on either end of the scale, that's not Christianity. That's not walking in love. Paul says in verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Are you serving Christ by being a legalist? Uh, no. You're, once again, you're, you've replaced him. You've taken, you've taken over the part when it comes to when it comes to being the moral law. You're saying, you know what, what, what Christ talked about, uh, you know, to, to love your brother and the, that well, that's not really that important. I'll, I'll, in fact, I'll even define what love is. And then you put this millstone around your brother's neck and try to make him carry it around while you're almost pharisaical, pharisaical, pharisaical in the sense that you don't do it yourself. You don't practice what you preach because you know the the heavy burden you've placed upon that or the person you couldn't bear. That's not what Christianity is about. You're to serve Christ by paying attention to what he said, not what you're making up. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable. The, the word here uh, me, literally means to be well-pleasing. Uh, to be, be, to be, uh, you break it down, it means good peace, which is interesting considering what Paul has been talking about or just got done talking about having peace in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is, is sharing good peace, is, uh, is at good peace with God and is approved by men, is respected in that sense. Why? Because you're not being a hypocrite. And how many times has Paul pointed this out about being love being genuine or being unhypocritical, especially when it comes to the Christian faith? And I've said before, one of the biggest criticisms against 
many Christian congregations, at least the so-called Christian congregations, is there are so many hypocrites there. They're either, once again, they are the legalists or they like their little cliques. And God, uh, I, like I said, in 40-some years, I, that, that was one of the things that really caused me a lot of angst. Not that I you know, wanted to be a part of any of the cliques anyway, but it was just this, we got these little groups, these little cell groups within the church. We only have certain friends, and if this person didn't dress this way, act this way, talk this way, didn't comb their hair this way or that way or whatever, well, they couldn't be a part of our clique. And I'm saying that is not acceptable to God. That's not being at peace with God. That's setting up your own little legalistic society. And you're the one that's going to approve who does what and the like. And I'm saying what Paul has written before about the body parts in the church and the like, they're all supposed to be working together. And the body that does not work together uh, like in a cancerous type of a situation, just to use a metaphor and an analogy here, the person who is the cancer in the church causes problems for everybody. Don't gather together in these little cliques to the condemnation of others. You're a cancer. You're the one that's going to be causing the stumbling block. You're the one that's going to be scandalous or going to be scandalizing somebody else. And for what reason? Because they're not as wonderful and brilliant as you think that you are. You're not serving Christ in that respect. You're serving yourself. You're setting up your own pagan idol and saying, this is what God is about. Almost like in what the, what the Jews did in the Old Testament. You've got your own little golden calf going on in your little clique. That's not acceptable. It's not well-pleasing to God, and it's not going to be approved or respected or esteemed by men. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not doing that for the outside world. No, because you're on the outside world. In fact, you would be at odds, you know, with him in a, in a religiously hypocritical way, and yet in, in the same boat as them. You're just as lost as they are. Well, I'm a Christian. Well, then act like one. Act like one. Get rid of the religious cliques. Get rid of the arrogance and the hubris. And start doing what? Start doing those things that are acceptable in God's eyes and are respected. Because you know what? Uh, it doesn't matter what color you are, how tall you are, how fat you are, how, how skinny you are. None of that matters. What matters is, do you love the other person enough to sacrifice on their behalf so that they'll grow up? So that they'll be acceptable to God. And so that's why Paul then turns to verse 19 says, so, so then let us pursue. Uh, let us go after what makes for peace, not only with God, in the sense of our behavior towards him. I mean, the Bible, when I just read it to you here a second ago, you know, that if we've, you know, believed or trusted or we've been justified by faith and we have peace with God, we've God has already 
you know, broken down that barrier, then let us behave in a way in a way where we're not reestablishing this hostility with God. So let us pursue what makes for peace, not only with God, but with those who are of the weaker in the faith. We don't need to be looking down our pious noses at them. And those that are weak in the faith, you don't need to be passing judgment on those who are free. They're free to eat whatever, free to drink whatever, free to wear whatever, free to worship on whatever day. Let us pursue that. It's going to be a lifetime endeavor. It's part of growing in the Christian faith but not only to make peace, but for the mutual upbuilding of one another. Lord knows the negative world we live in because of the presence of sin. It's destructive on all levels. I don't know how many times I've read about pastors who have given up. They've walked away from their ministry that they said they were called to do because they were depressed or whatever. It can get that way. People are immature. They have not been listening to the word of God and they start to stray. They don't support the pastor. This is where it becomes absolutely incumbent upon all Christians in a Christian setting, in a Christian church, whether it's the pastor or the or the lay people or the baby or the people who take care of the babies in the nursery and the like, we have got to be building one another up. We've got to get back to here. It's not just a self-effort where we sit around and psychoanalyze each other. We have got to get back to what God has to say about the subject of even Christianity itself, right here in the book of Romans. This is just a, a foundational book. That's why, it's, like I said, it's considered by some to be the Christian Constitution. We have got to get back here and understand what God expects of Christianity from an orthopedic, a, a correct or right practice of the faith according to how God has revealed it. Otherwise, we're going to have nothing to mutually build one another. It's all going to be pious platitudes. Get back to the book. Otherwise, you're going to die. You're going to be depressed. You're going to want to quit. And I guarantee you, the world and the, de or the, the, the devil's minions, the devil, the demons, they're going to be right there just patting you on the back. Yep, you're, you're not good enough. God, he was joking about all of this. He's not present. In fact, I'm not really here. You're just, this is all psychoanalytical stuff. And you know what? This is the process of evolution. Because you see, religion is just made up in your own mind. We created God in our own image. You see, that's all ultimately going to fail. It all comes back to you, and, and you're going to be your own guide and the survival of the fittest and all that garbage. You're not going to get any encouragement from the outside world. You've got to get back here. We need to be pursuing peace with one another, get rid of the trivial garbage, get back to what is, matters the most, and build one another up in the faith. Live as if the kingdom of God is right here, right now. And that's possible. And that really is what drives 
the world nuts anyway. They can't stand that positive approach to the Christian faith. They want you to be groveling around in defeat. Paul says in verse 20, and this is a command, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Now, this doesn't mean that God is some weakling out there and doesn't see what's going on and you know, he's got to kowtow to our decisions and he's got to make adjustments because we're, you know, doing stupid things. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means you're, you're being ruinous in a way. You're being discouraged. You're not building the other person up, that weak person, or the weak person you're passing judgment upon the strong. Uh, it means you're throwing up those stumbling blocks. Instead of progressing along in the kingdom of God, you're throwing all these things in the way, saying, you know what, you got to do this and you got to do that, that have nothing to do even with the Ten Commandments. They're your thing. They're kind of what I said to a second ago, what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees, you know, they tried as hard as they did to try to, to keep the, the people of Israel from sliding back into their pagan ways, and they went overboard. Jesus even pointed that out. You, you know, <laughs> sometimes I, I think about, you know, people who say, well, Jesus never said a negative thing. He was such a, he's such a nice guy. Well, go over and read Matthew 23 and what he had to say to the Pharisees. <laughs> he wasn't a nice guy then, but he was trying to point out how far they had swung the pendulum in the other direction, away from the liberal, you know, uh, uh, antinomian way of doing things. They went overboard. Paul is trying to point that out here. Don't for the sake of food. Destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. If that pork sandwich causes my brother to stumble, I'm not going to eat it. I'll find something else. Maybe, I mean, I'm not a vegan, but if I need to eat a salad, I'll do that if it will keep my brother from stumbling, from him saying, you know what, this just isn't worth it, causing doubts in his mind, causing him to slip once again back into maybe an old lifestyle. It's wrong. And once again, this points out that Paul is not a relativist. In this particular passage, as some people are trying to point out, there is no such thing as right and wrong to a relativist. He's just simply saying, hey, there are certain people who are not grown up once again. It's going to take time. You need to be patient. You need to love that person enough to bear with him. And if that means putting away the pork sandwich, put it away. If that means maybe not wearing certain things, don't wear it. If that means not drinking alcohol, your your Bud Light or whatever, then don't drink it. Wait till they're out of sight, out of sound. And then with your own Christian liberty, you can partake in those things. Just don't do it in the presence of someone where you're throwing a, a roadblock in their way, a stumbling block over such things, because it's trivial. And like I said, there's nothing more that the devil likes than trivial things to cause people to fall on their face. He says, 
It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. It couldn't be more clear. This is what genuine love and concern and care for those other body parts, once again, using the metaphor, in the Christian body is about. It's not just you doing your own thing on your own little island and thumbing your nose at the rest of the body. You know, Paul talks about, you know, the body functions and the like, you know, just because one person's not the ear, the eye, and the nose, and all that kind of stuff doesn't mean that they don't have need for the others. That is not true in the Christian faith. We have need for one another. The eye needs the ears. The ears need the nose. The nose needs the throat. The feet and the legs, we all are together. We don't all necessarily share the same function and do the same things or the same exact importance, but we need one another. And we're not going to do one another any good if we thumb our nose at each other. (laughs) Thumb our nose. The thumb and the nose getting together, colluding against the rest of the body. Well, that's going to work real well. The faith that you have in verse 22 Keep between you and yourself. Does it doesn't mean, you know, this separation of church and state and all that garbage you hear from the, the leftists and the, the, the pagans and the like. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's talking about the dependence, the Christian faith that you share is between you and God when it comes to this liberty that you have that maybe others don't quite understand yet. They haven't matured to it. Haven't grown up to it yet. Keep that to yourself. Later on, you can share that as the other person matures. But once again, that is out of loving concern for them. And because of that, guess what? Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself or what he approves. You'll be glad you did. You won't have to worry about suffering from a you know, a violated conscience. You did it out of hypocrisy because once again, you flaunted yourself in front of somebody else to the point where it's like, uh-oh, now they're they're cursing me. Maybe they're bawling. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they're crying about it because they were looking to you as an example and you blew it because you violated their conscience. And now you've had to pass judgment on yourself for what you earlier approved, which is going to cause you doubt. And once again, all all it takes is a little crack in the door of your Christian faith for the devil to walk right in and cause all kinds of mayhem. Now, you may be strong in the faith, and it may not take you long to repent and and, uh, ask for your apologies and and all that kind of stuff and just keep on going and learn. But the other person may not be that way. That other person may be destroyed. They may be ruined. It may, you may have set them back who knows how long. Like I said, they may stumble all the way back into a former lifestyle, and you don't want that. You see, the devil wants to destroy not only you, but that other person. And if that can cause a, a, uh, a bad testimony, so to speak, within the Christian faith that this person is now off doing something immoral or illegal, the devil, he applauds that. Yeah, that's that's a good thing. 
And that person may never ever trust you again. You never know. Paul says, avoid that. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because he's eating not from faith. You're no longer trusting in, in God because, once again, you know, you're doubting what you're doing. You're, when, when, you're, when you're eating or drinking or doing whatever you're supposed to be doing it for the Lord in the honor of Almighty God, just like the person who's weak in the faith. And then Paul throws out this last statement, which ought to be the anthem for all Christians. No matter what you do, whatever you're doing in life, maybe not even dealing with eating and drinking, but whatever you're doing in life. I pointed this out before uh, when, I, when I said, you know, there was a, uh, uh, when I graduated many years ago from Bible college and uh, we were asked, you know, what is your favorite, favorite Bible verse? And blah, 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 blah. I, I, at the time, I was like, I have no idea. I really, I, I rather enjoyed the whole Bible, not just one or two verses. But anyway, I gave them uh, Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That was what I pointed out here. Living by faith. Paul says, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We're to live, once again, what? By faith. The just shall live by faith. That is our anthem as Christians. That faith includes depending upon God when it comes to dealing with our fellow brethren. In the trivial things, we need to quit focusing on those and focusing on our faith. Well, we're through uh, the first 14 chapters. I hope you found this to be helpful when it comes to living your faith in the Christian world or the secular world, really. <laughs> well, actually both the Christian and the secular. There's two, two, two worldviews going on here. If it helped you in some way, let me know. You can write me a podcast at capro, C-A-P-R-O dot info, and let me know. Share this with others. They need to hear. This is how the world changes when we get back to Christian principles right here. the Just the bluntness of the Christian faith is right here. Share it with others. It's the good news, and the world needs a lot of good news today. Until next time, Lord bless you. Talk to you later. Take care.